Our passage comes this morning from Luke chapter 19, the same passage that Tom spoke about. But before we do, I get to do my introduction. On February 6th, 1952, the King of England, George VI, died. On that same day, his daughter took his place. Then after 14 months of preparation, on the date of June 2nd, 1953, 25-year-old, and I have to read this to make sure I get this right because I can't even say abundante or whatever, however you say that name. Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor was crowned Elizabeth II by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. Okay, here we go. And no, I don't watch The Crown. During her procession, she rode in a royal coach that was gold-plated that weighed in at a paltry four tons. Four tons. Pulled by eight horses, managed by four postillions, nine walking grooms, one of which walks behind the coach, all right? Six footmen, four yeomen of the guard carrying their long partisans, eight of the grooms walk beside each of the horse. Each one has its own horse, each one has its own groom. The more ornately dressed footmen walk beside the body of the coach. The postilions have to handle the horses when the animals are unruly. Remember that, when they're unruly. And they carry crooked walking sticks to hold up traces that may become slack when the coach is taking a corner. All right, you don't want a horse to get out of control when a coach is, a four-ton coach is running loose. The royal coachmen are traditionally clean-shaven, and the horses are always Windsor Grays. Maybe Talia knows what that is. I have no idea what a Windsor Gray is. Well, on her way to Westminster Abbey, Elizabeth passed before an estimated three million people on the streets of London. And during the service, she took an oath. She was anointed with holy oil. She was invested with robes and regalia and then crowned queen. After that, she removed the immense crown. And this crown is huge, by the way. She doesn't wear it often. I think only once. She took holy communion and then recited the Lord's Prayer. The event was televised live in Britain, all right? It was live in Britain, and it was even televised same day in Canada because it was so important. This is before satellite. This is before, folks, there was things before the Internet. They flew it cross-country to Canada so they could watch it same day. To say it was a big deal would be an understatement. Somewhat, somewhat in the same way, but with much more everlasting importance. Jesus of Nazareth was about to enter Jerusalem for the final week of his ministry. 
and on this particular day proclaimed to his nation what many had wondered out loud and spoken about privately. They asked, and they continually asked, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the Christ? He'd not answered the crowds directly. He always said, look at my works. Look at the works that I do. Look at my actions. More specifically, look to the prophecies. Look to the prophecies what are written about me and about the coming Messiah. But humans, being humans, and you are a human, by the way, humans being humans, inserted their own ideas and ideals into the mix. All right, so what did they want? What did they insert? All right, they thought, all right, the king's coming, the Messiah's coming. What did they think? Well, the common people, we want to get rid of the Romans. Get them out of here. They were the world power of the day, and they exerted control over the whole entire Jewish nation. And why most people were just working hard to make ends meet. Sound familiar? Working hard to make ends meet, they were being trampled on upon this, by this foreign power and taxed significantly. And they had no way to break that yoke. The religious leaders, depending on which sect they found themselves, range from sincere followers of Yahweh. Yes, there were men and women, but men primarily, who were in the religious community who served the Lord. But there were also conservative, legalistic Pharisees, also liberal Sadducees and Herodians who were in charge of the temple. And depending on their motives or their actions, they had a lot to lose, or they felt that they had a lot to lose. What did they have to lose? Power and wealth. Power and wealth. And if you haven't figured that out, that's pretty big stuff to a lot of people. And ever since Jesus seemingly came out of nowhere some, just a little over three years prior, he'd upset the religious leaders' apple carts. He upset the status quo. For the common folks... For those who just ma and pa who lived in the little villages and, and farmed and did their shepherding, Jesus was a big deal because he healed the sick. If you were sick, if you had someone that was sick, just bring it to Jesus. He'll heal it. All right, free health care. This is cool. And every once in a while, not often, but every once in a while, he would feed a huge amount of people from a very little amount of food. Free food. He never knew when this was going to happen. But why had Jesus come? What did the Old Testament prophets declared about him? He wasn't going to be a military leader. But yet, they expected it. He wasn't one that was commanding presence. He wasn't, and presence, I mean, you're, you bow before me. He wasn't looking to that. He wasn't seeking to increase his own ways, but he was one who was kind, who was gentle, 
who was just, just as Isaiah wrote, he said this, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. The scriptures declared that the Messiah, the anointed one, for the Greek language, the Christ, would be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. So you're going, how does this match up? If he's not a, a, a military king, how does he match up to being meek? They told us that he would sit on the throne of his father David. It was something that was hard to wrap their heads around. They couldn't figure it out. I'm glad I didn't live in that time. We have the scriptures, the completed scriptures. I'm glad I didn't live then because I probably would, I would have been confused. Well, Passover was about to begin. Did you notice last night or the night before there was a full moon? Passover. Surrender to his will. Surrender. And as my favorite passage, if the Lord can use a donkey to declare his glory, he can use you. He can use you. Now understand this. For those of you who tend livestock or this is the first time that this colt has had anything been, has ever been placed on its back. It had never bore a person. It had never bore even a, a burden. Nothing had been put on it yet. And normally a beast of burden needs to be trained, dare I say broken, get used to a rider. This is a miracle in itself. But this colt was content to have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords ride on its back. Jesus had a calming effect on this animal. And even when it becomes strenuous and crazy at times, he gives peace. He gives peace to you. The second confirmation that Jesus is the promised Messiah and King is the celebration. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, the colt, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. They deliberately enthroned him. They, they put him on. You take your place. He didn't climb on. They put him on there. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now remember this Remember, let's go back to the animal just one more time. This animal is not only being asked to walk down a path, it's asked to be walked down something where these coats, their cloaks, their garments, this noise is happening around it, and it's calm. Again, a miracle in itself. Well, why are they spreading the cloaks? Why are they spreading the cloaks? Because it was like for them, it was rolling out a red carpet. That's what, the way we would think about it. They rolled out a red carpet for him. For them, the people knew what they were doing. This had happened in, the Jewish, in Jewish history before. Jehu. Jehu had been 
crowned king or been proclaimed king in this way in 2 Kings, they threw their cloaks on the ground as he walked down steps. And why, why this? So, so what? They're submitting. They're submitting themselves to them. They're saying, you can walk on us. You are over us. You're sovereign. These are what these folks are declaring. And remember, it wasn't just their disciples. It was many, many people were doing this. There was excitement. There was exuberance. But there was also expectations. What expectations? Well, Luke left out a detail that Matthew wrote. Now, don't blame Luke because Luke was writing to a Gentile audience. Matthew wrote to an audience because they were Jewish, and it, Matthew is a Jewish apologetic gospel. Look at this. this is, it's written to proclaim Jesus as king. Palm branches. Palm branches were being waved, Matthew says. It is Palm Sunday, is it not? We see a palm right there. They symbolized victory, joy, and celebration. What a palm also symbolized was somebody waving a flag. It had revolutionary overtones. It was like the Jewish flag being waved proudly in the air. I don't want to trigger anybody. It's like somebody driving their four-wheel drive truck with a big American flag hanging on it, flying in the breeze. Matthew also writes that they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna means save now. They weren't singing Hosanna. They were yelling Hosanna. Save now! Act like your great forefather and put your enemies, our enemies, under your feet. Those, those there were expecting deliverance from an oppressor. Save now. Save now. But when I, when, when you sing Hosanna, yeah, we, we say save now. We, we sing save now because we look to the cross and we look to the resurrection because he saved us from sin. It's what Christ has done for us. He saved me from my sin, my guilt, and my shame. He has indeed saved, and he still does. He still does. Verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done. What had they seen? Well, they'd seen his compassion, the healing of the sick, even the raising of the dead. They said this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What a time. 
The celebration was great. But instead of celebrating a national victory, a military victory, this king would be victorious by death. He would die for his people. And his death would be enough for those who believe even 1,990 years later. That's how long it's been, give or take a few years. Jesus confirmed that he was the promised Jewish Messiah and King by preparation, which was sown in celebration, but also by denunciation. I've never been in a place where so much pandemonium was taking place. This hundreds and thousands of people lining the way to Jerusalem, waving, screaming, shouting, having a, having a grand old time. Now, I've witnessed playoff victories in person. I've been part of softball championships. Believe me, the team was really good to overcome me. And recently, I've even been a part of a Mazda finishing ahead of a BMW. But every one of these combi combined, combined, paled in comparison to what was happening this day. And we're told that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Your, their claims are over the top. These overly judgmental men were besides themselves. They were beside themselves. They knew that they were powerless to do anything. They couldn't stop that crowd. They knew their only hope was to, to appeal to Christ to do it. You see, the, the Pharisees disapproved of any any abortive attempt to throw off the Roman yoke. Why? Because if it failed, and it would fail, it would great, cause great chaos, and they, they would lose their position. They would lose their wealth. They would lose their power. And they didn't want that. And besides that, one small little detail they hated Jesus. They hated him. And they resented this outpouring of praise in which that basically meant that Jesus shared honor with God. They hated it. So you have them on one side. And I suppose we can ask the question and wonder about this. What, what did Jesus, did Jesus approve of the crowds? Did he approve of what the crowds were saying? Now, before you answer, let's think about it. Yes, he did approve what the crowds were saying. He replied because of the great noise, he probably shouted, I tell you, if these were silent, all these around me, these very stones would cry out. Now, if it had been me saying this, 
I would have looked at my enemies, the Pharisees, and said, you know what? Your heads are harder than these rocks. But that's not what Jesus meant. I'm sure that Jesus meant that these stones at a future time would make the statement that he is worthy of praise. He is Lord. This is a fact that's undeniable. And in fact, after Jesus died, Matthew wrote this. Immediately after he bowed his head, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Notice, from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. I don't know if a rock, when it cries out, when it's split, I don't know if it makes noise, but even the rocks understood something gigantic had happened. These rocks responded to Jesus, even though these hard-headed religious men did not. And again, I have to ask, how do you respond? When you hear that Jesus is Lord, that he lived perfectly, that he raised, he was raised, he died a perfect death and he was raised again. How do you respond? Do you respond with that, yes, Lord, I will do what you want or do you look for something else? Do you look for the Lord to get you a bigger house? Get you a better car? Change your spouse? Or are you looking to see what, God, I, I, I bow the knee to you. I'll do what you want me to do. Are you welcoming his reign in your world? I had asked earlier if Jesus approved of the crowd's excitement of their, of their words. Yes, he, he approved of, of their words regarding his Messiahship and being the king that comes in the name of the Lord. But he was displeased with their conclusions on what he would accomplish. And we see this with the condemnation. Historian Alfred Edersheim paints the picture for us in the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. He said this. He said, the road down to Jerusalem descended into a hollow and the glimpse of the city again was withdrawn from the multitude because of the intervening ridge. But after a few moments, the path mounted again and in an instant, the whole city burst into view. I've seen this view. You can't mistake it. Now, a mosque is on the place where the temple used to be, but the temple, when it was there, it was covered in gold. And they said when the sun shone on it, it just, it blew up. And when Jesus saw the white stucco houses and the temple, which was bathed in gold, he did what? And when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept, not just, not just the little sniffles, not just, oh, this is hard, I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is, 
I'm, I'm, not wor- I'm worried about this. No, not the quiet tears. Deep sobs. Heaving sobs. that came from deep inside Jesus' body. He's wailing over Jerusalem for all to see. While everyone is cheering, he's weeping. Why? What's going on? Verse 42 and following tells us, Jesus saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, the prophet, The prophet that in Deuteronomy, Moses declared that God said, I will take a person out of you and I will speak through him. Jesus is the prophet. He looked 40 years into the future when the proud, holy, unrepentant city would lie in ruins, wet with blood. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote about this event. In 70 AD, Caesar had already commanded the entire city and the temple to be razed to the ground, leaving only the towers which projected higher and those others to stand, Phasel, Hippicus, and Merriam. And that part of the wall which enclosed the city to the west This was to be an encampment for the troops, which would be left behind. And the towers were to reveal the posterity, how great a city of Jerusalem had been, and what sort of fortification Roman prowess had dominated. All the rest of the wall, which encompassed the city, demolition teams leveled, so no one would come there in the future, would ever believe that the spot had been inhabited. Over 600,000 adults and children were slaughtered. The temple was burned with no stone left upon another. A group of people, not all the people, but a group of people who were joyfully declaring him worthy of their devotion, worthy, you're worthy, you're king, you're Messiah, blesses you who comes in the name of the Lord, five days later would be yelling two words, crucify him, crucify him. Because they didn't recognize God's coming in the Lord Jesus Christ and rejected his offer of salvation. God made flesh crying over rebellious humans. We're no different.
Some would say, well, God's mean, God's angry, God's a tyrant. God doesn't relish in anyone's destruction, body or soul. It tears them apart. In fact, Matthew quotes Jesus as saying this as he looked over the city. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? See, your house is left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus came and declared that day long ago, Long ago, behold your king. Behold your king. But they wanted their own kind of Messiah. They wanted their own kind of Savior. One that would give them what they selfishly wanted. They had a materialistic attitude, but didn't understand that they needed the wealth that Jesus freely provides. What wealth is that? Spiritual riches and spiritual rescue. That's true wealth. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with him, with his wounds, we are healed. The king wept over Jerusalem. Will he weep over you? Father, we come to you. Thank you. Thank you that you sent your king, our king, our savior, our Christ, to be victorious. May we choose life. May we choose him.
And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.